Thank you for joining us at Calvary Baptist Online Worship Service. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we want to say welcome and thank you for choosing Calvary. For those of you who have been meeting with us in person, thank you for understanding. This has been a long week, and as of Saturday morning, all of the staff have tested positive for COVID-19. And in order to recover and keep you safe, we made the call to be online only this week. So again, thank you for choosing Calvary, and thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Pastor will be wrapping up his Ready or Not, Here He Comes series today. You will find notes below and also a connection card. Please take a second and fill out that card, and don't forget to mark your next step or to ask for prayer. We know these are difficult times, but I am confident God is going to speak to you today. So let's get started with some music to prepare our hearts for worship with God. Hey, good morning, guys. Let's sing this together. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. It has
at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace hallelujah I am free from my sin and penalty at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace with your grace on top of grace with your grace on top of grace in Christ
This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Could ever pluck me from Welcome to Calvary Baptist. I'm so glad that you have been able to join with us today. Uh, it is a little bit unusual for us to be back online uh, totally, but I'm so glad for the technology and thankful that you're able to join us today. And I'm looking forward to what God's going to say to, to us through his word. And I'm also just already grateful for just being able to know we're gathered together and having being able to worship uh, the Lord together in song I want to start with a word of prayer, just to kind of pray for each other, pray for our church. Um, obviously, this is a rough time for a lot of people, and we've had some significant uh, losses this week in several of our family members, and so I just want to lift up each other in prayer. So I invite you just to stop here just for a moment, and let's pray together before we begin the message today. Father, thank you so much for this day you've given us. And Lord, we do know that we need you, and we know we need you every day, but sometimes it uh, we're more aware of it, I guess, than others. And this week, Lord, we just we confess we need you, and we thank you for being near to us. Thank you for uh, all that you do for us. We thank you for your amazing blessings, for just the fact that you are good. Um, but Lord, through all of this, we ask for your healing upon your people and upon our our world, our community. Um, and Lord, I also pray for comfort for those in our our church that have lost loved ones this past week, and I pray that you continue to strengthen them, comfort them, and, and draw them closely into your arms, Father. We're looking forward to what we're going to hear from your word, and we just thank you that your word is always true, always faithful, and we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10. Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here he comes. 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 Several weeks ago, if you've been with us uh, either online or in person, you know that we started a series with that title. And we've been uh, talking about the, that idea, looking at the, some quotes from Jesus himself, actually from the last chapter, the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. Jesus makes uh, several different statements, but he repeats three things. They're pretty close to the exact same words three times. Revelation 22, verse 7, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. Well, then in verse 12, he says it again, Behold, I am coming soon. And then down in verse 20, he says, Surely... I am coming soon. Well, obviously, Jesus is trying to make a point. Actually, the point that he is making there, he's already made several times in the New Testament. Um, scholars have counted up to maybe 21 different times 
that in some different way, Jesus said, I will return or I am coming again. Now, as Christians, followers of Christ, our eyes and our ears should be hearing and looking for for something that's truly out of this world when it comes to the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus is coming again. Someday in the future, in fact, let's use a term today. We're going to say perhaps today. Now, a few years ago, I read an article by Pastor David Jeremiah, and he used that actual term in talking about the phrase in the way that we're talking about it in Jesus coming again. And and I want to use that phrase as he did today, and I want to focus as God's people on what it looks like to live with anticipation of the fact that Jesus is coming again, and perhaps today. That's what we want to look at as we walk through today. Now, we know that Paul already told us that there is actually a reward attached to the expectancy of Jesus coming again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. But he goes on to say, And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Longed for his appearing. Loved or eagerly looked forward to his appearing. Now, the topic, Jesus appearing, the second coming, you know, it it often finds a curious audience. I'll be honest, whether it's uh, believers or non-believers, people that kind of, the mystery of it or the, the sensational, interesting ideas. But as Christians, many times we even uh, more deeply embrace the thought of the second coming beyond the curiosity, even based off of this verse, thinking about it. We, we long for his, his coming, sometimes because of what we're experiencing, the world around us. We know that things just aren't right, and, and things have got to change. And, and we even sometimes say it couldn't get any worse, and, but yet we know that it, it could. But we just we know that something can fix this, and so we long for Jesus to come. We also personally long for Jesus to come because things just aren't right within us oftentimes, whether it's physically or, or emotionally or just relationally within our lives. As, as Paul said in Romans 8, we, we're kind of like creation. We groan, we long for the coming of Jesus. But what's even more, and I think what Paul was specifically talking about here, is that longing that comes just simply because we want to see the face of Jesus. We long to see the face of the one who, who loved us, he loved us enough to die for us, regardless of who we are. In fact, just the way we are, he gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life. He forgave us. We just want to see Jesus. How I long for his appearing. I'll be honest, that's what's made this series pretty exciting for me to preach. Every week I've been excited. I tell you, the delivery's been a little difficult sometimes. There's a lot of, of things to consider, but the, the idea that Jesus is coming again has become increasingly exhilarating as I understand what that truly could mean for my, for my life. Here's what we know. Over the years, there's been a lot of predictions, predictions about when this event is going to take place. Now, obviously, they've all proven to be false because he hasn't come and we're, we're still here. But sadly, in the process of that, a lot of people invested their, their hope for the future in, in those, those erroneous predictions. Uh, some people even invested their time and their resources and they rearranged their lives and, and their, just their earthly journeys all to, to, for this prediction that Jesus was coming and then they find out that it, it wasn't true. A lot of disillusionment. But here's the thing. They weren't wrong in anticipating and even preparing for Jesus to come again. They were wrong in trusting the wrong source of information. 
they were trusting in infallible human opinions rather than what God said. Because here's what we know. In talking about his second coming, Jesus made this, the following statement in Matthew chapter 24. He said, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the, the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, if you've been with us, you've heard this before, but yet so many times it seems like people ignore the plainness of what Jesus just said. Did you hear? No one knows. He said it's very specific. So here's the thing. If you, have, if you hear anyone put a date to these events, even if you respect them, Understand, they got this one wrong because no one knows. They, only the Father knows, and he's made it very clear he's not going to share that secret, which leads us down a couple verses where Jesus said, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. And then verse 40, 44, he says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And that's where we get our title for what we've been looking at these last few weeks. Ready or not, here he comes. The reality is, Jesus is coming again. And even though we don't know the day or the hour, we do know two things. Jesus is coming again, and here's what we're getting to today. It could be today. We're talking about perhaps today. That's where we're living today. Nothing remains on God's prophetic calendar that has to be done, that has to be accomplished, except the unfolding of these end-time events that would start with the rapture of, of his church. What we're talking about is what's been called the doctrine of imminence. It simply means that the return of Christ is imminent. It means it could happen at any moment. The time clock started the moment that Jesus left and, and that angel, uh, the angel said to the, the men there, this same Jesus who you just saw go away, he'll be back. He'll be back soon is basically what he's saying. And, but that's been almost 2,000 years. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus said it. So obviously, we're closer now than they were 2,000 years ago. But even they believed he could have come in their lifetime. Here's what we know. Jesus is coming again and perhaps, perhaps today. There's so much more that we're, we could share about these end-time events, and, and I, I promise we will come back to these in, in the future. But today, I want to kind of wrap this up with what do we need to know? How do we kind of summarize all that we've been talking about, and what should we do when we know what's in, what's in store? With this thought in mind, what should we know? So perhaps today, and here's our subtitle, Living in the Light of the Second Coming of Jesus. If, if we think he could come today, which I believe the Bible says he could, how should that affect the way in which we live our lives? I'm going to share with you four different things today, uh, starting with this. Perhaps today means that it's the day to trust God. Now, that seems very simple, but let me explain what I'm talking about. I, I remember about June of 1999, some of you will remember this, I had my personal first experience with the concept of, of prepping. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? I mean, Y2K was staring us in the face, and, and it was starting to get serious. So we as a family, we didn't know really too much to do, so we started setting aside a few things, kind of stockpiling some things, putting some water with distilled tablets in it, just in case, right? Now, now the truth is, uh, if, if me, and, uh, my, me and the missus had to survive off my prepping skills, we'd be in a world of trouble. Trust me, okay? I, I don't really know anything about all that, but we, we were trying. We were trying to be as prepared as possible. 
but there are a lot of people. I mean, especially, I, I know that preppers, you know, that, those kind of thoughts have been around for, for a long time. But it seemed like, in my opinion, since that time, Y2K, it's, it's kind of taken on a new meaning. And a, a, lot of, a, a lot of growth in that is people talk about the apocalyptic uh, uh, times and the, and the things, of, things getting really to the, to the end. But when we get now to this, these numbers that we're, that we're at now and the, the products and the, the things that have happened, and it's literally a billion-dollar industry, people preparing for the end times. I even read recently, uh, there was a book by a guy named Brad Garrett. He's in a, uh, Atlantic Monthly Magazine. But he's re- writing a book called Bunker, Building for the End Times. You see, a lot of people, believers or not, they're talking about the end times, the apocalypse, and what, what possibly could happen. But, but all of this prepping, we're also talking about pre-COVID. You know, now we're talking about things that, you know, those kind of preppers are looking pretty smart now after all of the things that have happened recently, right? And the truth is, world issues, war, conflict, all these natural disasters included, they will continue and and they'll actually get worse as the longer the time progresses towards the coming of of Jesus until he returns. And yeah, it's 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 wise to make reasonable preparations. There's nothing wrong with making precautions for the for the coming days, but there has to be balance. Here's what you got to understand. It's easy even for us as Christians to look at today's world and we we might feel troubled or or anxious or or worried or fearful. We, we have this kind of innate fatalism or, or defeated mentality with all the, the, the turbulence around us. But Christians, here's what we got to understand. We believe Jesus is coming, and perhaps it's today. So Christians, we should have a different perspective, and it centers all around Jesus and his promise to come again. Let me, let me remind you of a verse we've looked at a couple times. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, let's stop there. Why not, Jesus? I mean, the times he was in right then, they, there was some troubling times, and he knew they were going to face troubling times. But he's telling him, don't let your hearts be troubled. There's two reasons why he gives them. Number one, he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Your faith in the Father and in the Son should help you not to, not to be troubled, not to be overly anxious or to be, to be worried. Because you believe in God and you believe in his Son, you know that what he's done for you. He's given his life to provide salvation, so trust him, trust in that. But then he makes this very specific promise, not only because you believe in the Father and the Son, but the promise is, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus is saying there's no reason to be troubled because God is still God and I am coming back. With that in mind, don't forget what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. God's not given us a spirit of fear, Christians, but he's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Think of the words of, of King Solomon in Proverbs 29, 25, where he said, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Hold on to those truths, Christians. Yes, we live in a, in a crazy world, and, and it's good to prepare, but we, we also know that we have a, a different perspective. Let me take just a minute I was pointing to a passage this week, Psalm chapter 11. And if you get a chance, I'd encourage you to just kind of read through, meditate on these verses. But let me just share with a couple of the verses. Starting verse 1, David, the writer, says this, In the Lord I take refuge. 
or your translations say, in the Lord, I put my trust. He goes on to say, how then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? Verse two, for look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. Here's what we kind of get a picture of is somebody in David's life, and I don't know who it was, maybe a friend, maybe an advisor, maybe one of his wives, I don't know, but somebody was saying to David, flee. Run for your life. Get out of here. If, you're, if you stay here, you're not going to make it. It's, it's just not, you, you, can't, you can't handle it here. And so then David asks a very critical question. Look at verse 3. He says, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that's a question that all of us followers of God should ask ourselves. Whenever the foundations are shaking, let me, let me ask you, have you ever felt like your foundations are shaking, are being, are, are being attacked? I mean, nothing seems stable anymore. Have you ever felt like that? Whether it's, it's personally or relationally or, or uh, financially or physically. So now what? Your foundations are being shaken. He says, uh, when the foundations of the righteous are being shaken, look at verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. See what David is saying? It doesn't matter who thinks they're in charge. It doesn't matter what circumstances may seem to be controlling it. It doesn't matter who's bending their bows or launching their arrows. How can you even suggest? Here's David saying, how can you even suggest that there's nothing the righteous can do? My only choice is to run and flee and panic? He says, of course not. Have you forgotten who's really in charge? God is still on his throne, he says. God is still in his temple. God is still making a difference. This is the God we serve, and nothing has changed. He's still looking. He still cares about you. He's still examining. He's still watching over you. Christians, that is our perspective. We still have that trust that we can have in the Lord. Here's what we got to know. We, we say this a lot. I know God's in charge. I know he's in control. We say it. That's what we say in church, right? I get that. But do my actions and my attitudes, do they reflect that I really believe that? I think we've probably talked about this point every week we've talked in this series. But my question still is, do I really believe it? And if I do, is my life really showing that I believe it? I mean, if my faith is in the Lord, then I never need to panic. I'm going to have struggles, I'm going to have issues, I'm going to have those fears, but I don't have to panic. And and, and just in case you forgot, let me remind you, if you weren't here last week or you missed this, there's quite an incredible thing that happens. Jesus, when he does come again, he's going to make quite an entrance. I mean, that was a powerful picture that we had. And and the truth will be clearly seen by all, once once and for all. But I I want to remind you of some words in Revelation 19, verse 11. Here's what we see. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Oh, I love that. And then verse 16, don't forget, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Say that with me. King of kings and Lord of lords of lords. Write that in your chat today. King of kings and Lord of lords. What an amazing concept. And we we ended with that last week. But remember, let's start there. That's the reality right now. But until that day comes, until we see that, we trust him. We trust that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. We can put our faith in that. Because here's the problem. If we don't, otherwise, we're going to find ourselves living in defeat 
We're going to find ourselves worried when we get up in the morning. We're going to find ourselves fretting when we go to bed at night. We're going to find ourselves haunted and bothered by every news story that comes across or every headline that we read. Here's what we can remember. It's better to know who's in control. And that's God, and that's who we serve. As David said, in the Lord I will put my trust. Should I make preparations for bad days? Sure, absolutely. There's wisdom in that. But here's what we remember. Be prepared, but don't panic. Be prepared, that's great, but don't panic. Our hope isn't in our preparation. Our hope is in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our hope's not in us. It's in God himself. So, Perhaps today, as we live in the light of his second coming, we trust in God alone. And secondly, perhaps today is the day to live godly. Here's what I've noticed, that there should be a noticeable difference in our attitudes, in our trust, in the way that we trust God in these times. But we also must remember there should be a marked difference in our lifestyle as Christians, especially as we're looking forward to the second coming. When we get to 2 Peter, chapter number 3, uh, as we talked about, Peter knew that, that uh, people would doubt, even mock the idea that Jesus was going to, re- going to return. So he encourages Christians not to let what looks like to be a delay in God's timing, what, what it looks like to us to be a delay, don't let that shatter your hope or your confidence that he still is coming. And it, by his timetable, it's still very soon. And so with that confidence, knowing that Jesus will return, Peter asks a very important question. Chapter 3, verse 11, he says this, what kind of people ought you to be? Wow, Christians, that's a great question. Jesus is coming, so what kind of people ought we to be with that in mind? Very simple, and it's got a direct question, but it's also got a direct answer. Look, he says, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Live godly, holy lives. It goes on down in verse 14. He says this, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, looking forward to the second coming, you're longing for it. Look what he says. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. What do we do while we're looking forward? How do we live in the light of the second coming? We live with the understanding that our lives are to be different, that our lives are to stand out, that, that, that we're to live godly lives. If you were to go back to the first part of 2 Peter, he, he kind of starts off this letter with this, with this very interesting assurance. He says in verse 3 of chapter 1, the divine power of Jesus has given us as believers everything we need to live a godly life because of our knowledge or our relationship with him. Well, look at this. Based on this verse, um, you have everything you need to live a godly life and, and so we, we know that we can. Now in chapter 3, he tells us that we are, that's how we are supposed to live. But if you were to read, if you read the rest of the book, in between those two things, what we find is Peter's addressing what seems to be many, we'll call them professing Christians. That they're not living up to this lifestyle that God has said they can and should live up to. They, they can live godly, and they're just not doing it. Uh, it, it seems that, that they're, they're convinced, that you know, they're, they've been convinced that Jesus probably isn't coming back again, or it doesn't, sure doesn't look that way. I mean, that was a nice thought that he gave us, they're saying, but that was 30 years ago. 
when this was written. That was just 30 years back. He's, he's not coming back. They're saying to Peter, this is crazy stuff. So it seems what Peter is getting to is based off that faulty theology, not really believing that Jesus could come again, they've decided, you know what? It really doesn't matter how we live anyway. It doesn't matter how we act in, in any case. So what Peter's doing is he's using this reminder, the fact that Jesus is still coming, and he again, he's now urging them to, to rethink their lifestyles, to live in a different way. You see, it does matter how Christians act in this world. We, we shouldn't be able to just blend in so easily that, that we don't stand out in a crowd. Our lifestyle does matter. Because you see, the world around us, they're looking for truth. They're looking for something, for authentic reality. They may not even believe it's that we have it or that God has it, but they're groping in the darkness for something. And it's in the dark times of this dark world that they need to see a light. They need to see the, the, the fact that God is real. And that's why God has left us here. He, let, he says that it should be our good deeds, the things that we do for him, that shines out against all the awful darkness of this world and, and shows him that there is something real, there's something worth living for. Whether they want to accept it or reject it, that's, but that at least they can see that it's real, that they know there's something they can, they can go to. So if they look at us, if they look at my life, and they see nothing's different from what, what's around me or what's all around, then they're going to keep searching for truth and light somewhere else. God wants my life to make that kind of difference. That's why I believe Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, let your light so shine that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He wants our lives to reflect him in such a way that they will glorify the Father by seeing our lives lived the right way. What kind of people ought we to be? That was Peter's question. In, in light of the, the second coming, we should be the kind of people that shine like a candle in the dark, a kind of people that allow others to see that God is real. Living in the light of Jesus' second coming, Perhaps today we, we trust God, maybe a little deeper with a little, more, with a little more confidence, and we also live godly. And thirdly, perhaps today is the day to claim victory. I'll tell you a story I, I read. I thought it was really powerful. A guy named David Hemery, he was actually a member of the 1968 British Olympic team, that, and they uh, participated in the games in, in Mexico City in that year, Right? So he was scheduled to run the 400-meter hurdles. Uh, and actually, he was racing against uh, runners that included the guy that held the, the current world record at that time. In fact, five of his competitors had all run this race faster th than he did up to that point. And plus, he, was, he found himself struggling to breathe because uh, Mexico City is about 7,000 feet above sea level, so he was having trouble breathing. But, but he, he stated, my goal was I was going to run 90% for most of the race, and then that last little bit, I was going to surge with everything I had those last, that, those last few steps. And and so as he's running in the race, about halfway through, and this is his recollection, he's saying, I've noticed that I'm finding myself passing some of the stronger runners. And eventually he said, I didn't see anyone in my peripheral, and I really didn't care. I wasn't listening. I wasn't even hearing the crowd. I was just running focused with everything I had right to the very last second, out of breath. And he, he crossed the finish line, and he actually won the race. So what happens, he said, next is I see a, a, 
commentator, British commentator, running across the track, and he shoves a mic in my face. And he said, the first thing I said was, did I win? He didn't even know that he had won the race. He actually, not only did he win, he actually set the world record in the 400-meter hurdles. And all the time he's running, he's crossing the line, but he had no awareness that he actually had won the race. All he knew, he was out of breath. Out of breath. He had no clue of the outcome. Think about it, Christians. I think it's possible that we could be living our Christian lives unaware that victory is already ours, that we have victory in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that's, what if? What if David Himory, this athlete, what if, what if he had seen a video of himself winning before he ever ran? What if he knew what the outcome was going to be? I mean, it's still, he would have worked hard. He would have had the knowledge. But if he would have had knowledge that he was going to win, would that have changed anything? I mean, the context of everything would have changed. He would have had a reason now for his, the pain and the difficulty in his training. And, and that even running with as hard as he did, he, it would have new meaning now. Because the certainty of victory makes all the difference in how we run the race. So let's think about our Christian life. Paul often referred to it as, as a race. As Christians, we have something that no athlete has. We have the absolute certainty that we win. We have the absolute certainty, absolute knowledge of how our race will win, and we have the victory. The victory is ours through Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul talked about the race in one spot. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. Paul said, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. It's not like I'm just haphazard about how I'm running this race. The message paraphrase puts it this way. I love the way he said it. I don't know about you, but I'm running hard for the finish line. I'm giving it everything I've got. Look at this. No sloppy living for me. Knowing that Jesus has already won and, and we as his followers we then have won. Why would we ever, ever settle for sloppy living? Why would we ever just, as if it doesn't matter, living? We've got this race. We know that we win, and we know who we're running for. Why would we ever settle for anything less than the very best that we have? Because we've got the victory. Here's what we know. that The New Testament, most powerful words about the victory we have in Jesus Christ, they come over the, the victory that Jesus won over our enemy, the, the enemy that appears to be undefeatable. And that enemy is death. I mean, death has a, a, very law, a, a very hard statistic. One out of one dies. Death seems to have this hold. And yet Jesus, when he resurrected, he, he won. Look, what we know that in Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins. But he refused to stay in that grave. And in three days, he rises again from the grave. And in that resurrection, he wins victory once and for all over death. And so now, as his children, as those who have received his life, we have that victory in our lives as well. Since Christ was raised from the dead, all of us who belong to him will also be raised from the dead. That's victory. We have, that victory is already ours. In, in, in another one of Paul's references to Jesus and his second coming, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he reminds us as believers of the victory that we ultimately have in Christ. Look what he says in verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death 
has been swallowed up in victory. Wow, now that's powerful. What he's basically saying is, hey, I've seen the video. We win. We already know what the outcome is going to be. But look at verse 55. So where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a loser in this verse, but the loser is death. The victor in this verse is Jesus Christ and all of us who have received him as our Savior. We have victory through Jesus. Here's what we got to know. The devil is going to want to do everything he can to distract us, to convince us in some way that we don't have this victory. Uh, he'll, maybe he'll try to distract us by, by just the problems of life, the discouragements of things that we're going through, of our, maybe even of our own failures, right? And he just tries to, to get us to think that there's no victory here. You, you might as well not give it your best. It's not worth it. And, and, and we have to understand that what we know, that's what leads to, as the message we read earlier, leads to sloppy living. We lose, we lose hope, we lose confidence in the victory we have in Jesus. And so we, don't, we, we walk as if we're losers, we're walk as, we walk as if we, we just can't do this and it's, there's no hope for us. There's no victory here, but that's the point. Through Jesus Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, once and for all, our future is sealed. We have won through him. But when the, the devil tries to get us to remember that and tries to get us off track, we also remember that that victory is not for just at the moment when we die. We know that when we die, we see Jesus, but it, that's not the only victory we have. We also know that the victory we have for, through Christ is victory right now. In fact, Romans says it this way, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us right now. That Jesus lives in our lives. We not only live eternally in victory, but we can live in victory right now, every day of our life. Here's how John said it in 1 John 5, starting verse 4. He said, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. If you've been born of God, you've, you've been through the resurrection of Christ, you overcome the world. That's present tense. Look at this. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's what we know. We have, right now, victory over death and, and, and victory over what is to come in the future, but we also have victory to overcome, and here's what we know, our victory is ours by faith. Did you see that? He says that victory comes by faith. It's for all those who believe in Christ. We are victorious by faith in Christ who saves us, the one who believes in him, as he says. And now we walk in, in faith. We walk in victory by faith, by trusting in him and going back to him and believing in what he has done for the rest of our lives and making the decisions he calls us to make and obeying him as he calls us to obey. We live by faith. I've read about the relationship, and because of my relationship with Christ, I know the book says, I win. Claim that victory today as a follower of Jesus Christ, knowing that perhaps today Jesus could come. So if today's the day, trusting God, living godly, claiming the victory, and finally, perhaps today is the day to reach out. Now, the more I study the, the second coming, the more I'm reminded that it could be today. But with that truth in mind, I'm struck by this very simple word, urgency. If Jesus could come today, then everything I do has this sense of 
urgency with it. You see, I'm convinced, in my personal life at least, that one of the devil's favorite tools in, in me is busyness. Now, it's not necessarily being effective, it's just being busy. I, I gotta feel like I'm, I'm doing something. And, and in that scenario, a lot of times I get mixed up in my priorities, I lose sight of what's really important, but I also lose sight of urgency. I'm sacrificing the, the, uh, the, the most important for the things that are right, and I miss that there is an urgency about what God has in mind for me to do. Here's a word that we hear a lot in the scriptures, and it's just simply the word today. God puts a special emphasis on today. Today is a day to serve the Lord. Today is the day that, that I, I do what God has called me to do, and, and I, don't, I don't have promise of any other. I have today. I have what's right here before me. In fact, Ephesians says that we are to make the most of every opportunity. See, I've been given time to, to live and to serve the Lord, and that time is today. I mean, that's what we have to remember, that today is the day, and it's urgent then, that, that I take advantage of what God has given me in the moments today. But something else we know about today, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation's very, very real, and it's a very present tense. It's a biblical truth, but now that we know what we're talking about, since we know that Jesus, the Lord, is coming again, and his coming could be today, then that makes today the day of salvation. If knowing that this could be perhaps today, then we know that today is the opportunity you have to receive his salvation. You know, I, I live in peace and confidence knowing that I've received his gift. I, I know his salvation. I, I recognize that victory. I know that if I were to die today, I would spend eternity with him in heaven. I know that victory is, is mine. But that second coming now begins to stir urgency in my heart when I realize how many people around me that I meet, that I'm going to, to uh, talk with this week that have not experienced his salvation. Share with you this week, I was reading past where we stopped last week in the book of Revelation. And you get to chapter 20 of Revelation. After we've talked about the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the next, the next chapter has a very sobering passage. And I just want to pick out a couple of verses, but verse 11 of chapter 20, John writes, I saw a great white throne. He was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there's no place was found for them. Verse 12, he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. In verse 15, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a very sobering passage. It made me, it's made me stop several times this week and just just think about what that means and picture in my mind, that would have been me had I not received Jesus. But I know, I'm, I know that that's not my future. I know that, that I, I, I spend eternity with, with him. I, I know that. But I also know there's a lot of people that I do know that, that could possibly be standing in that judgment if they do not receive Christ as Savior. Here's what I know. There are going to be a lot of people who reject that. Oh, hell's not real. It's, a, it's mythical. And, or even preachers, they, they want to try to soften the blow, right? They want to say there's a God of love would never condemn any one person to eternal punishment. But just saying that, here's something that they've either forgotten or they've, they've rejected, and that is they've, they've underestimated the holiness of God. They've underestimated the seriousness of sin, and they've underestimated the, the fact that God made a way so you don't have to stand there. 
He gave his son as a sacrifice for our sins so you don't have to stand in that judgment. So for someone to say he would never, you're forgetting you've had an offer. Jesus gave his life for you. Many of listening to my voice today have possibly not even yet received this gift of God's eternal life that was purchased by the sacrifice of his son for your sins. So I ask you the question, have you received his gift? If you were to stand before God today, would you stand as one of his children in the, in the glory of the, of the righteousness of Christ, or would you stand in this crowd that says the name is not in the book of life, cast away forever? Where would you stand? Have you received God's gift? But let me ask you, if you know who your Savior, this is the one that you know Christ is Savior. This is the question that I've been asking myself. Have I told anyone else about that this week? Have I told anybody else the seriousness of the, the importance of them knowing Jesus Christ recently in my life? I, I take you to the Old Testament, Isaiah 55. There's an urgent, it's a biblical warning with, along with a great promise that, that was about salvation then, but I think it still applies today. And here Isaiah writes, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Man, that's a great promise. If, you'll, if you hear God calling, saying, I want you, I love you, then answer the call. Listen to him. Salvation is being offered to you. Follow through. He will pardon. His mercy will be true in your life. He will forgive you of your sins. Jesus will be your Savior. Listen to that offer today. What an amazing thing. But the rest of that chapter, or the rest of the next verses, it also stresses the urgency of the one thing that will make the difference in a person's life who needs Jesus. Verse 11 says, And as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth, what God has done, it has saved me. It has saved us. It is changing me. It gives us victory now and for eternity. And it's that same gospel, that same truth that will change the life of, of your friends, of your neighbors, of your family members. And it's the only truth that will. There's not another person. There's not another offer. There's not, another, there's not a religion. There's not, it's only the truth of the gospel of what Jesus did, his word. And so you have that opportunity, and you share that, and God's word will make a difference. So it's now our job to see that the people in our lives hear this truth. They hear God's word, that his truth gets into their life. Now the results are between them and God. But it's our job to share that truth, to take God's word, which will not return void, and let it talk to their life. So the question comes back to me. Will I care enough to tell someone this week? You know, when you're burdened for the lost, I heard a man say, when you're burdened for the lost, you just never know how the Lord may use you. If you'll let God burden your heart for those without him, God can use you in a powerful way to bring others to follow him. There's an old hymn, Fanny Crosby, years ago, wrote these words, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, because Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. We get the word to the lost, we let God and the Holy Spirit do their work, and Jesus will save the lost if we'll trust in him. So, perhaps today, perhaps today, you know what? We long for God's kingdom to come. You know, right in the middle of all the struggles we're going through, this messed up world, 
Jesus, come. We long for that. We long for, in our personal groanings, we long for Jesus to come and, and the uncertainty. But most of all, we long for Jesus to come so we can see him face to face. The one who, who loved us, gave his life for us, forgave us. We long for his appearing. It could be today, perhaps today. So in light of Jesus coming today, it's a day to, to trust God. It's a day to stop worrying about all the issues and to trust him. Perhaps today it's a day to, to live godly as, as a light in a dark place. It's a day to claim victory as those who are, are victorious over death as well as those who can live victorious in our daily life. And it's a day to reach out, to share Christ with the world around me who needs to know about him. Today I want to finish this, this message as well as our series so far with, with Jesus' words and a response. It's what we've heard pretty much every week in this series. And as we read through it, I'll let you fill in the blanks. But I want you to say this with me as we get to Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 20. Jesus said this, Surely I am coming soon. And now with me, all of you, as you're watching on, online, let's say this together. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me, please, for just a moment as we kind of wrap up our thoughts. There's been a couple questions I've asked, a couple challenges. Let me ask you to consider this. Number one, have you received God's gift of eternal life? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from your sins. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I don't care how religious or how good you may have been. Have you received God's gift? If not, would you do that this morning? You can simply, according to the pattern of Scripture, the simple process is, is that you admit, first of all, that you need a Savior, that you're a sinner and lost. You believe that Jesus did die and rise again so that you could be saved. He was dying for your sins. And then you confess before him, God, I am a sinner. I confess that you are Lord. Please save me. Would you do that today? Would you receive his gift so that you can know once and for all, with confidence, you can say with us, even so come, Lord Jesus. If you know Christ as Savior, let me ask you this. Are you living in the reality of his second coming? Are you living in light of the fact that he could come at any moment? And knowing that, are you trusting him? Are you, are you listening to him? Are you doing what he has called in and living a godly life and claiming that victory? Are you also telling others about the grace of Jesus Christ? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that even when we can't be in person together, we can still worship, we can still learn together, and I thank you for that. And I pray that, that your word, your spirit is speaking to hearts, whether they're listening to me right now live or they're listening to me on replay, however this works for them today, I pray that your spirit is speaking to their hearts. And I pray, Father, that you're drawing those who need to know you as Savior. And Lord, that they will know that there is salvation through Jesus Christ, and today would be the day. And that you would also draw your children into a deeper, closer relationship. We'll trust you more. We'll follow you more clearly. We'll, we'll trust in our victory. And, and Lord, challenge us 
to share our faith, to share this truth with someone this week. We love you, Father. Please do a work that only your spirit can do in our lives. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us here online, and I pray that the Lord's message will speak to you. If there's some next steps that you have, that you can find a card or you can comment or you can send me an email. I'd love to answer your questions or, or contact you if, if we can. But if the Lord's speaking to you, we'd love to follow that up. But all of you this week, I hope that the Lord continues to use his word to speak to you. May the Lord bless you. Have a great week. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Just a couple reminders. As of now, we plan on meeting in person next week. But if that should change, we will let you know as soon as possible. We will have officer elections next Sunday if we are in person. Our Thanksgiving Family Night of Worship has been moved from next Sunday to December 6th. This means you still have time to RSVP. You can do this at cbctaylorville.com or you can mark it on your connection card. This special night will take place in the gym, so we will be able to social distance and all food will be provided so you don't have to bring anything. You just need to make sure you RSVP. That's all we have for you today. Thanks again for joining us. Make sure you like and share this message on our social media and share it with your friends. Stay safe and make sure you pray for one another.